Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It's the 1st of February, 2022, the year of the Lord. Uh, And today is the 1st of February, so we are in Acts chapter 1 in our reading the Bible together. And so if you have not yet signed up to join us, please do so. Today is the 1st of February, so we are going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read a chapter of Acts each and every day. We have a free downloadable study guide for you. We have a daily podcast that is... um, uh, hosted by our precious colleague, Angela Smith. And then she always has a guest like me or Paul Perot or Susie Larson or one of your other fan favorites here at Faith Radio. All right. So today we are in Acts chapter one. This is going to be easy this month. Uh, if I ask you where in the word are you, my answer to the question is going to be the corresponding chapter of Acts to the date on the calendar. So it's February one. So I am in Acts chapter one. And I thought today, you know what, let's just do this together so everybody can check this off in terms of having accomplished their goal of reading the Bible together, Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book being, by the way, the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered... They went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. 
In those days, Peter stood up among the company of persons uh, of about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, so the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. These are Luke's um, sort of like uh, doctorly notes about the death of Judas. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Achaladama, which is field of blood. Back to Peter here. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may this camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who had uh, accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And so they put forward two, Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 1. We are reading the Bible together this month, uh, and so join us. Go ahead and sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Nick Pitts joins us next. We're going to cover some of the headlines of the day, including what's going on with the Canadian truckers. We'll be right back. Come on. Oh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we've got us a convoy. It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June. And it's a great day to be alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. There's hard times in the neighborhood, but why? Nick Pitts is back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He tweets at J. Nick Pitts. Nick, looks like we got ourselves a convoy. Why, hello there, Carmen. We have ourselves a convoy on this Lunar New Year, the year of the tiger. Um, so the Bengals are going to win, a, just just purely no. based on that. <sighs> Let's, I, you that's, know, that's what I have. That's all I, I have to I, say about Titans that. Fan. Yeah, as a Titans fan, I feel conflicted. I'm still, uh, I still am very bitter over the Rams from 20 plus years ago, what they did to us in the Super Bowl, and then still very bitter over what the Bengals did to us two weeks ago. So, so you're just going to be bitter. That's okay. Yeah, I I think I'm just going to be bitter. I'm trying to get excited, but nevertheless, here we are. What does bitter Nick have to say about the Canadian truckers freedom convoy? My goodness, what a story. And so you've got, I mean, Carmen, I don't know. I love truckers. Let me just go ahead and just go totally on the record here because I, (laughs) these are my people. I love truckers. I love, I mean, I, we, we have a giant truck stop at our exit on the interstate. Um, My, uh, my uncle was a trucker his whole career. I just, you know, I, I love them. I don't have anything else to say about it. 
it's it's similar to police. There's just a, a type of fraternal bond among truckers, and you're starting to see that play out in Canada as they are. Uh, they're driving together this convoy across the country um, to be able to protest the mandates that they're experiencing right now relative to the vaccine and coronavirus. It is, it's a sight to behold that really did not anticipate truckers uh, of any profession of 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 all the professions to really show this much to generate this much news about their about their stances on these mandates. Yeah, I like the Irish fishermen who turned back the uh, Russian Navy this week. And I like the Canadian truckers effort uh, in relationship to the Freedom Convoy. So um, so hats off. And if I had one of those pull cords that I could make a big trucker um, right now, I would do it. (laughs) Paul, do I have one of those? Do I have a big trucker? Uh, that's oh, mine yeah. right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you. yeah. All right. It, so um, it, what's the – can you just tell me, uh, because I have paid little attention to it, what's the big deal over – is it mouse? Mouse? Yeah, mouse. Yeah. M-A-U-S. Uh, so, what, what's the big deal over yeah. mouse? So um, mouse is uh, – it's a book about the Holocaust and just describes uh, – it's a uh, – uh, award-winning book over the Holocaust that's uh, right now being uh, the center of controversy that's playing out over in McMinn County in Tennessee. Now, many of your listeners probably have never heard of McMinn County, but it's where, home of McMinnville, and then there's also a little town called Manchester. Manchester, your listeners are probably more familiar with the music festival that happens there, which is Bonnaroo. And so, um, but it's a very conservative town, uh, despite the fact that Bonnaroo is a very, uh, uh, we'll say free and uh, free willing concert. But nevertheless, the school, the local school board there has decided that they are going to um, prohibit, uh, they're going to keep Mouse from being uh, a part of their curriculum. Uh, and it's causing some consternation. And the reason they're doing it is because of the profanity and nudity that's in the book. Now, um, having read it, I would I would just offer that one, the profanity really is just dis- it. Obviously, it's uh, not advisable to uh, repeat that. As my grandmother would say, the words in your uh, the words that came out of your mouth, I would never put in my hand. Um, mm. So it's a. Uh, it's not it's not the ideal language, but it does describe the atrocities and the significance of what happened during the Holocaust. And then the nudity is really it is just uh, unfortunately just a part of the degradation that happened during that atrocious time uh, over um, over in Europe during that time. And so it's not distasteful. It's not pornographic in nature. But really, just does depict a very sad, um, uh, just very sad part of our history. The beautiful thing about America is that we have a federalist system whereby what happens in McMinn County doesn't have to happen in Davidson County, doesn't happen have to happen up in Rochester and Minnesota. It, it very much can we can disagree as to what's the appropriate material that we want eighth and tenth graders to be reading. Um, I, I I don't think it was anything ill advised um, or any ill intentions of trying to erase the Holocaust from McMinn County based on their statements. But it does give us an opportunity to have a discussion over the Holocaust, as especially this happened. Uh, this news broke uh, around the time that we all remembered on Holocaust Remembrance Day. 
So um, as as we just take a very, very brief pause here, um, here's a question for you. When we have these uh, conversations in the culture about abortion, how often do you hear the men um, who are responsible, uh, equally responsible with those women for those pregnancies, how often do you feel you hear their considerations um, weighed in uh, in the conversations of the day. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Um, when was the last time you heard the father's considerations um, lifted up in the conversation about abortion? We're going to talk next about the significant role that men play in decisions surrounding unplanned pregnancies. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's always a reason to always choose joy. Continuing our conversation with Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. You can find Nick on Twitter at JNickPitts. Um, Nick, let's talk about the significant role that men play in decisions surrounding unplanned pregnancies. Who's bringing us this research and what did they find? Yeah, Lifeway bringing the research, uh, just always doing just incredible work, as well as CareNet working in conjunction with them, and they were really trying to figure out what role men play in um, the, the decision around unplanned pregnancies. And what's fascinating is they found that 42% of men whose partners had an abortion said they encouraged women to do so, with 12% saying strongly urged her to have an abortion. Around 3 in 10 said that they did not give any advice. And so a number of men, almost 50% of men, are saying that they're playing a part in, in the ending of their child's life, which is uh, it's not relatively new research. We've always known the role that a man plays, um, uh, the, the father plays in um, that mother's um, decision to end the baby's life. But we're starting to see this new research that really does indicate that it's just very detrimental to the baby with the dad speaking. Yeah, a couple of other um, data points in this that I found particularly interesting. A quarter of the men said they didn't expect the relationship to be long term. You know, that that, that mm-hmm. was a part of the reason that they were encouraging um, their pregnant partner to have an abortion. And then uh, 40% or 39% said that uh, they just weren't ready to be a father. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're not ready to be a father, do not participate in the act that produces a child. Like, this yeah. is my, this is, I, I think that the disconnect between marriage and sex, I mean, we, mm-hmm. it's, it, we have lost our sense of family and the responsibility of parenting because we have disconnected sex from marriage. Completely agree. I, and this goes back, I mean, and the church should be one that should be talking about this more than uh, any institution or entity. And then you realize that Karen has also done previous research, which indicates that upwards of 40 to 50 percent of abortions are, are are committed or decided by individuals that claim to be self-identifying Christians. or They participate participated in church services in the past month. And so you've got you've got upwards of 400,000 abortions that are happening by individuals every year that are claiming the name of Jesus. And it really does provide an opportunity um, for the church to be able to speak into this. But also, I would I would say that 
this kind of brings about a question of there's so much talk that's often on the mother to make the decision. There's a lot of emphasis that's placed on her and, and largely because she is the one that's carrying the child. But we have to remember, as this story indicates, it takes two to tango, as we've alluded to. And I think there, there's been some legislation that's being entertained in Oklahoma. I'd like to see more across the country that really does start to end, start to show um, what we already know to be true, that the man has just as much responsibility, though he may not be married to the woman, to the child as the mother does and start mm -hmm. start making those lower barriers for women to be able to make sure the man has a responsibility as a father to this child from a financial standpoint as well as from uh, other necessary means standpoint so that um, this child uh, doesn't have to be uh, ended uh, with all due purpose <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, I just think that, you know, as you're listening to this, consider that half of the men in this survey say they were attending a Christian church at least once a month during the time of their partner's abortion. Um, and 40 percent of these couples were married. Um, we are not just talking about single people choosing to uh, end the life of their unborn child. We're talking about married couples that go to church. And that mm -hmm. ought to be a uh, a stinging point of not only rebuke, but it, it, it ought to absolutely inflame conversations uh, in churches uh, surrounding this topic. Um, uh, Nick, I want to um, give you the opportunity to talk about the death of Sister Janet Mead. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, um, she was the one who turned the Lord's Prayer into the 70s rock hit, right? continuing a long line of individuals that uh, that were able that were inspired by the biblical narrative to in turn turn it into something culturally uh, relevant it was her version of the 1973 version of the Lord's Prayer uh, the the one that would bring home Jesus Christ superstar and so just a an interesting woman to say the very least not very many Australian nuns that have a <laughs> that can make such cultural waves. It tells you something about the time um, in which uh, she she wrote this. I mean, this 1973 version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, it competed at the Grammys. It was nominated for a Grammy, but it was beat out by Elvis Presley's rendition of How Great Thou Art. Um, I got to tell you, that's not what's going on at the Grammys today. It's not <laughs> no, like a contest no, between the Lord's Prayer and How Great Thou Art. Yeah, we've we've changed a little bit. Now we have uh well I won't I won't mention it. Yeah, no, you can't totally even say the names you can't even say the names of the songs that are winning awards today. <laughs> yeah. It's she stunning. you know, it's, she continues a long line of uh, she was uh one of many Christians that were inspired by inspired by the biblical narrative and made a cultural impact as a result. And um I just it's it's just it's indicative, as you said, of how far we have come as a society. And now we are. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't I'm, I'm like racking my brain right now to think about something that would be appropriate to share from the Grammys from this past year. And I, I'm coming up short. So uh, we talked a little bit yesterday with Dr. Linda Mental about uh, the ways in which we can de-stress using spiritual practices and meditating on on things like the Lord's Prayer or 
meditating on a piece of music. And in this case, you could meditate on a piece of music that is also the Lord's Prayer. And so if you want to implement a practice that Dr. Linda Mental introduced yesterday, here's an opportunity to do so. You know, honoring and acknowledging the life of um, of this precious woman who became a nun at the age of 17 and spent her career educating children and celebrating the Lord and his goodness among us. We just wanted to certainly lift up the name and celebrate the life of Sister Janet Mead. She was 84 years old, um, according to the Australian Broadcasting Company that announced uh, her death to all of us. So, Nick, as always, thanks so much for joining us. So great to be with you, Carmen. Let's listen to the song. story that uh, I didn't get to with Nick that was frankly one of my favorites from yesterday. It's posted at The Guardian and it is a uh, a photo um, uh, essay about some polar bears that have moved into an abandoned Arctic weather station. Uh, the photographer Dimitri Koch discovered the polar bears living in an abandoned weather station in um, frankly, a part of Russia that I can't um, uh, pronounce the name of. All right. So he was on a trip to Wrangell Island, which is a UNESCO designated uh, nature reserve that serves as a refuge uh, to to polar bears. And he talks about how he had dreamed about photographing polar bears his whole life. These pictures of these polar bears inside these buildings, looking through the windows, standing on the porch. Um, it's just I don't know. It's this very interesting intersection of humanity's efforts to tame the wild, right, to set up a weather station in a place where, frankly, people can't really thrive and live, and how the polar bears uh, who do thrive and live there, well, you know, they can make use of what we leave behind. Um, it, it'll make you happy to give it, to give it a look. Um, again, it's posted at theguardian.com. I, I suppose if you just Google polar bears and Arctic weather station or something like that or photo essay, you'll come up with it as well. What delights your heart when you consider uh, God's diversity of creation? Like, what delights your heart? I mean, I'm this delights my heart today to look at this. But my heart, you know, is also delighted uh, by by chickens and puppy dogs and my daffodils, which seem utterly confused by the fact that it's going to be 63 degrees today where I live and then like 14 tomorrow. So. Um, you know, what delights your heart when you consider the things of God? Um, on this Taste and See Tuesday, let us be the people who taste and see that the Lord is good and then share that savor of the Savior with others. Like, let's help other people today taste and see that the Lord is good. Use um, use pictures of the beauty of creation and its goodness uh, to spur those conversations along. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Do you ever feel like you don't have what it takes or what you need to be the mom you want to be? Here's Maggie Combs. What moms need in this really hard day-to-day life isn't those nice platitudes online. It is the gospel itself. 
how believing and living out the gospel changes everything for moms. Next time on Family Life Today with Dave and Ann Wilson. Listen mornings at 1030, evenings at 7 on Faith Radio. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. Luke Moon is back. You can find him at philosproject.org or providencemag.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, good to talk to you, Carmen. It's good to talk with you as well. Um, so the I would say that with like this slow rolling problem uh, on the Russia Ukraine front, um, but it's a it seem, there seems to be dispute about whether or not there's going to actually be armed conflict. Can you tell us what's going on today from your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, the the buildup of Russia on the, you know, on the eastern border of Ukraine, uh, you know, has been growing and growing. There was, you know, the U.S. pulled out its diplomats and Biden spoke with the president of Ukraine the other day. And the president of Ukraine's like, hey, like, slow down a bit with the rhetoric. It's not helping. Right. And and uh, so, you know, Russia is saying publicly, hey, we're not we're not going to we're not going to invade Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are like, you know, don't don't uh, don't make it worse by agitating. And, um, you know, and the U.S. is now, you know, walking back some of its rhetoric. But, you know, it's one of those things where why would you put 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine only to what, bring them home again? Bring them like, like that, that that part doesn't make much sense to me. Um you know, and I have predicted, and and we'll see if I'm right, that uh, that Russia will actually invade Ukraine uh, during the Olympics, um, and uh, because Putin seems to like to invade countries during the Olympics, so. So, um, with the Olympics in view, uh, they start in just a couple of days. Anything you want to uh, be sure we have in the forefront of our minds related to that? Well, you know, it would be really curious to see how, um, you know, the the Chinese deal with, you know, kind of potentially uh, problematic T-shirts, right? The, um, you know, some athletes standing up for, for the Uyghurs or something like that, right? It, it would not surprise me, uh, you know, that, that there's some kind of tension in that direction, Um and, but, yeah, I expect the, you know, as far as the Olympics go, it, you know, it goes off without a hitch, right? So, I, you know, don't have a a lot of kind of expectations in either direction on, on the Olympics. It's one of those, like, are we still doing those? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. You know, yeah. you know, people don't, don't um, watch TV like they used to, right? They watch they binge watch shows or they watch shows on on the netflix the prime or whatever so yeah i mean even when we're watching a game we like to watch the version of it where we can fast forward through the ads so i I just it's it's totally a challenge all right so we have this um awareness of the challenge being faced in terms of international religious freedom we have recently highlighted the release of the open doors usa world Watch list 2022. You guys at Providence Mag have a really interesting uh, piece on the three things the new ambassador at large for religious freedom should prioritize. Can you share that? Yeah. So uh, there's three things. 
that we think should should come out of this new the 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 new uh, appointment of the new ambassador. One would be his to, to have him bring back what was the ministerial, ministerial uh, on to, or to advance religious freedom. Uh, that was a gathering of you know people who are involved in religious freedom uh, around in the United States, but also around the world, and kind of bring them together to kind of talk about the importance of religious freedom. Secondly, like you got to deal with the hard cases, the blasphemy laws, that kind of thing. And then, and then thirdly, um, you know, the, the, the administration needs to actually, you know, utilize the tools in the toolbox for religious freedom. And, you know, the challenge is, is that, you know, it's a little bit, there's some headwinds, mind you. I mean, even the, the secretary of state Lincoln has said that, you know, religious freedom is not that important. It's not mm. the, it's not the, you know, he actually said, you know, there's no hierarchy of rights, which I think we all generally disagree with. Um, but, you know, it would fit with, with the administration that seems to be, you know, ha- have no real understanding of, of religious freedom and religion in general. I mean, that it, that has, that, that already plagues that, that understanding of the role of religion in international relations already plagues, you know, the 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 State Department and DOD and the other kind of international organizations, and add to it an administration that is is largely secular, and and it, you can see it. Religious freedom is is not going to to really be a priority, and the challenge is that there's you know you have the rise of both. Islamic extremism and secular extremism, right? Islamic extremism with Boko Haram in places like Nigeria, um, other parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, but then you also have secular extremism with, with countries like China and increasingly even in, in um, you know, in Finland where, the, where you know, the, there's a couple of Lutheran uh, pastors who are uh, – uh, accused of hate speech and will likely go to jail for posting uh, what the Bible says about human sexuality between men and women. So it's hmm. it's, uh, it's a it's an uphill battle. Okay, I saw something yesterday related to um, the withholding of U.S. aid to Egypt, and the numbers seemed pretty mammoth. Um, did you did you see that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't. Okay, that I might have don't. escaped you too. All right, no, I don't. I, I, it, that's one of those things where I'm going to have to look it back up and send it to you later. I, I didn't have it right in front of me. It's just one of those things that caught my eye and I didn't make I will, good I will note say of it. That, I will say that one, one of the backstories is that, the, that when Carter made peace between Israel and Egypt, a part of that peace deal was uh, financial aid, actually. Mm-hmm. And so. We, we're kind of basically stuck giving both of those countries financial aid because of the peace deal we made with them back in the 70s. So any any attempt, which is which happens every time, you know, the the foreign aid authorization comes to the Senate, there's always a group that's like, why are we giving Egypt money? Why are we giving Israel money? Well, actually, it's because we made a deal that we would, and we're yeah. we're. We're going to do that in perpetuity as long as because it's part of a 
part of the deal we made to get those two nations to come to the table and sign a peace deal. So it's, it, it, you know, however we, however we do it, we're going to do it forever, I think. So um, speaking of bad actors around the world, and again, let me just remind everybody, I'm talking with Luke Moon. You can find him at philosproject.org or providencemag.com. Lots of great uh, stuff posted right now at Providence Mag, and we're going to get to a conversation about Iran's comprehensive strategic partnership with China in just a moment. But let's cover North Korea first. Um, I mean... Luke, we're all paying attention to the things right in front of us. You know, we're making sure that the that we we're you know taking the cap off the milk and smelling it to be sure that it, it hasn't expired. Like that's really what has most of our attention today. It's not it's not what's going on in North Korea or their missile tests, but North Korea's missile tests m- maybe should have our attention. I I guess I mean I guess, but but it seems to me here's here's the challenge actually of all this stuff. Carmen, is it like you and I have been, been, you know, beating the drum, raising awareness about Christian persecution for a decade now. Right. And, it, mm-hmm. and it, it's, unfortunately it's, it's worse now than it was when we started. <laughs> and, and I have tried for, for a decade to get the church to care about other Christians who are persecuted and they don't. Okay. And, and I've tried like being a jerk i've tried being nice i've tried uh you know i used every bible verse i could i stumbled on that i think i could wedge into that issue and it doesn't matter i i still i mean it's it's it gets demoralizing but i do it anyways because you know i think i'm supposed to but i'll add that to like the stuff with north korea and the stuff with ukraine it's it gets a bit overwhelming Right. And until American uh, like feel like an existential threat, it's like, yeah, OK. I mean, the, the conflict in the world that has caused the most deaths is not is not Syria. We rang rang our hands about Syria for for uh, also a decade. Right. But it's actually the Congo. Right. What, like mm. several times more people died in the Congo uh, in their civil war than died in Syria. And there was no and nobody cares. Right. And it's like it's 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 this the, the, and it's the challenge. always a challenge. It's great. You know, Hotel Rwanda, there's a great scene where the guy goes like, you know, somebody should care. And, and the guy's like CIA, like this is Africa. And, you know, you might hear something between sports and weather, but like, you know, even, you know, the, the major news networks, which we have several and they have to have content constantly there that none of them are excited to go to, to, to see us go to war with, you know, Ukraine or even, I mean, a bunch of them are like, why, why are we even doing that? We, we already went down the road of kind of playing the, you know, the cop of the world. Not only that, like why why do we suddenly care about the the sovereignty of the eastern border of Ukraine and and can't seem to have any interest at all in the southern border of the United States, right? Like that's where people's minds are, and to to get them to be like, yeah, but but North Korea launched a missile, like it's it's like yeah, uh, they did, and that's that's. That could be bad in the future, 
But listen, I got, you know, six inches of snow on the ground and I got to plow my sidewalk, right? Like, yeah. That's where people are most of the time. And it's it's a challenge for guys like me who, who are in the, you know, who are in the international relations <laughs> game. It's, you know, and my issue even harder because, you know, like, I mean, like I'm in the, the, the Israel Middle East game. We, like we, man, that that's nobody wants to talk about that because we talked about it for 20 years. Right. So 20 years. Yeah. Or longer. About, yeah. Yeah. Talking about yeah. the Middle East and people are like, yeah, oh, OK, I've heard that story before a lot of times. <laughs> so, well, so, we're going to yeah. Luke and I are going to circle um, around to a conversation <laughs> about two huge actors on the international stage, um, both of whom are bad actors, and now they are in league with one another. So we're going to talk about Iran's comprehensive strategic partnership with China. Um, and and Luke, while we're, um, you know, while we're taking this very brief break, you can uh, you can Google uh, the U.S. blocks one hundred and thirty million dollars in aid for Egypt over human rights abuses. That's what I was looking at in the New York Times from three days ago. All right. So Luke Moon and I will be right back. What do you know about Iran? What do you know about China? What do you know about what they're doing together? And yeah, why should we care? We'll be right back. We're continuing our conversation with Luke Moon. He is a uh, religious liberty and human rights advocate. Uh, he works around the world in his efforts. You can find him at philosproject.org and also providencemag.com. He also happens to be uh, a pastor, which I love about him. Um, Luke, let's, um, let's start this conversation about uh, Iran and China with a little bit of a worldview reminder. When I'm when I'm going to think about Iran and I'm going to think about China, I'm thinking about two distinctly different worldviews from one another and worldviews that are distinctly different from mine as an American Christian. Yeah, well, that's, I think, uh, (laughs) yes, they are. I mean, China's worldview is a combination these days of of, uh, communism and Confucianism. Right. Like that has been, uh, you know, Confucianism has been the, the like the undergirding to, to the degree to which, you know, the West uh, can can kind of trace its intellectual history back to the Greeks. Uh, China traces it back to Confucius. Right. And and the, so it, it does place a lot of effort on on merits and it's it's a i mean we all know china these days is a is a really a growing force in the world and has been for a long time uh iran obviously is muslim it's uh uh, shia which is this kind of the smaller sect of of islam but also the you know the one that's at war with sunni islam which is the other major branch right and so you know Sunni, sunni and shia islam are in that, you know, they're in the hundred year war that the, you know, Protestants and Catholics were in back in, you know, the, the six, 1500s and 1600s kind of time. Right. And so you get this, um, but those two powers, China and Iran, have decided to team up. Right. They have locked in a security arrangement, uh, trade, uh, oil. And one of the things that, that uh, China, has and will continue to struggle with 
is the fact that they don't have a ton of natural resources and they got a lot of people and they also make just about everything for everybody else. So, you know, the, I mean, I was, I was just in Christmas in the Dominican Republic and there was a giant supermarket that was full of Chinese goods, plastic stuff, right? And that plastic stuff gets made by oil and that oil gets pumped out of the ground by Iran. <laughs> and so, so there was a, you know, a, an agreement, a $400 billion uh, agreement between Iran and China, um, which is, which is sizable, obviously. Uh, and it includes oil, includes some free trade zones. It includes surveillance technology. One of the things that both Iran and China uh, have internal problems with, and air quote problems, is uh, they both have some of the fastest growing churches in the world. Uh, the actual, the fastest growing church is, is actually in Iran. Uh, and, you know, China has has a church that has been growing for a long time. And, and uh, their social um, tracking system, uh, you know, keep is, is, is legendary these days of keeping track on like, you know, making sure nobody's Christian. Right. And that's an, that's some internal security uh, technology that China has developed that they have agreed to transfer uh, to Iran, which is that that in and of itself is, is, is problematic. Um, but I could also see, you know, one of the one of the one of the things that I think is important for us to, to keep in mind. And I, and I, you know, I have to remind myself of this at least quarterly is that, you know, the way that we think of these nations and the problems that they are right now um, are problems right now. And we do serve a God who is, who does not have sweat on his lip because of what mm -hmm. is happening with the deal between China and Iran when there is, like I said, a massively growing church in both of those countries. And at some point, just like in Rome, in Germany, in Norway, in countries around the world, uh, uh, the tide will turn and uh, something will happen. And, sh and, and it could very well be. It wouldn't surprise me, Carmen, that in, in my lifetime, Iran is sending missionaries around the world because China already is not even not I mean, even like illegal. There's a whole like movement called Back to Jerusalem, which is which was. To, to for the, because the Chinese could get places that you know Anglo's can't, and and they were I mean they basically let's take the Silk Road back to Jerusalem and preach the gospel along the way and and it's a it's a big movement and tens and thousands of people have come to faith by Chinese missionaries who are living and working uh, in the the Muslim world. So there's this inspiring edge of this. And then between the conversation about, you know, this strategic partnership between Iran and China um, and that vision where, you, you know, Iran and China are sending more missionaries to the rest of the world than, you know, than history can account for. Like, right. Between those two points, there is potentially a lot of loss of life and 
certainly regional instability, and those are major players on the world scene and so potentially, you know, global implications. And I think that that just being sober to the fact that this is happening, even though it seems like it's half a world away, like, right, it doesn't seem like it matters to me that Iran and China are doing joint military exercises and China is going to supply all kinds of strategic weaponry to Iran, um, you know, now that the arms embargo has expired. Um, You know, like there's at some level, I'm like, Iran's a long way away. But, you know, we're all inhabiting the same fairly small uh living sphere we call the earth. And so I just, I always appreciate um, the way you guys write stuff at Providence Mag. I thought this piece on Iran's comprehensive strategic partnership with China was, was brief enough and, and meaty enough and well explained enough that I could understand what's happening. And so thank you for the effort to bring it to us in a way that we can, um, you know, that we can digest and understand deeply appreciate it. Yeah. My yeah. pleasure. All right. Thank you, Luke. Um, give my greetings to, to the people. I will, for sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Blessings. That's Luke right. Moon. You can find him at philosproject.org, also at providencemag.com. We'll be right back. What are you doing right now? What's top of mind? What's top of prayer concern? Let me just encourage you to pray the news today. There are certainly things going on in our own homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our nation and around the world, over which we feel like we have either limited or no control. But we know the God who does. We know the God who made it all, who sees it all, who is sovereign over it all, and who literally holds this day and you and I in the very palm of his hand. And so let's, you know, I like to just say hashtag pray the news. Let's pray the news today in those places and spaces and over those circumstances where we just recognize that um, God alone is our access point in terms of intervention. And so we pray his Holy Spirit be present and active We pray uh, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we then go out and actively do our part to advance his kingdom purposes always and in all ways. That's our part of the mission today. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.